Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and our Inside the Sports Car Paddock interview show for May 6th, 2019. We had a really, really packed weekend of activity in both Mid-Ohio for IMSA's WeatherTech Sports Car Championship and also in Spa, a snowy FIA World Endurance Championship round where our man Graham Goodwin, my co-host for the Weekend Sports Cars, caught up with a few folks. So here in our show, presented by Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers, we're going to kick off as usual with our main man, Jeff Brown, race engineer supreme from the Core Autosport team. Cover two topics, the first and primary being third springs. What are they? How do they interact with dampers, the normal dampers used to control ride? What are they? How are they used? Where are they found? And also for you amateur upcoming maybe pro or just simply weekend warrior race mechanics engineers drivers how might you replicate the third spring effects with your road car or whatever it is you might be using at a solo at a an autocross at a road race get into that with jeff and then jeff and i close on some of the stranger more unexpected setup changes that we've made that either worked or didn't work, or had some sort of learning outcome that was valuable. A little bit of storytelling there, so hopefully you enjoy that. Then we move into the first of Graham's three interviews, that being Alex Lynn, happened to win last weekend with Aston Martin in GTE Pro at Spa. We follow Alex with an interview I did with Dane Cameron, who won overall at Mid-Ohio last weekend for Acura Team Penske, his first for the team and also the first for that entry with Montoya. Then we go back to Graham, an interview that he did with Dragon Speed's Pastor Maldonado, talking about the victory that they achieved in LMP2. Rather fine thing for Elton Julian's team. They've now won this year in the LMP2 class in IMSA, ELMS, and now the WEC. After Graham's interview with Pastor, we move to a conversation I had this morning with Jack Hawksworth, who put in a peerless drive in the AIM Vassar Sullivan Lexus RCF GT3 to take the very first win for that brand new team at Mid-Ohio last weekend in the GTD category. Then we close with Graham's interview with Toyota Gazoo Racing Team Manager Rob Loipen about not only their success with an overall win at Spa, but also their clinching of the Manufacturers Championship. Also some thoughts, ongoing thoughts from Rob, who I'd love on frustration with the non-finalized 2020 hypercar regulations. So good on Rob for broaching that as well. So that is a packed show right there. Start off with Jeff, move to Alex, then we go to Dane, then Pastor, then we go to Jack, and then we close with Rob. All brought to you by Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers. Jeff Brown, you're coming off of a weekend in mid-Ohio at the Acura Sports Car Challenge that indeed lived up to the last word in <laughs> the title for you and the mighty core autosport Nissan Onroke DPI team. I know that you had some uh, mechanical misfortune, uh, nothing due to any fault of the teams, just uh, some issues there after a long weekend where team owner and co-driver John Bennett celebrated his 54th birthday but was unable to capture a win there so 
Hopefully you have dried out, thought out something out after a, a weird weekend in mid-Ohio. And here we are at our usual start to the week with Inside the Sports Car Paddock, where we discuss all things engineering, technical, and otherwise. What do you think we should talk about to start off this week, my friend? Um, well, I guess uh, first maybe I, I, I don't often do this, but I'll give myself a little pat on the back. We talked last week about how slippery mid-Ohio was going to be. I missed that by a long shot. It was 10 times slipperier than I thought it was going to uh. be. When it was rainy and muddy and, and, and super cold, it, it was super slippery. So anyway, um, yeah, anybody that's going to mid-Ohio, if it's below 70 degrees Fahrenheit, take my slippery comments and double, triple them or something like that. So, <laughs> so anyway, I think, how about we do kind of like a, a little bit of technical thing? I mean, a lot of these questions we're getting from people are really deep dive technical stuff. And, you know, I was kind of thinking about people hear about third springs and, you know, it's kind of a comment that we who run prototypes or indie cars are always like, Oh yeah, the third spring, we went stiffer on the third spring or we changed the third spring. And we got some questions about what's a third spring. Doesn't the car have four springs and why would it only have three or is that an extra one or how does it work? So I thought maybe we could, could hit that. If you think it's a good idea. That's perfect. Let's start rocking and rolling there. And, Fans, I'm sure, have also just simply heard drivers or maybe engineers, maybe on one of our podcasts or others or on TV, not even say third spring, just simply exactly. refer to the third. third. Uh, and so when you hear third, so the normal layout is two shocks and springs up front, two shocks and springs at the rear. That's a very yep. traditional layout. Then we have the, quote, third spring which would also live up front and at the back. So in theory, in total, we would have six springs on a car, but a third isn't always necessarily a spring. It could be some other things. So why don't we crack this open? Because there's a lot of nuance, but what's the basic premise of a third spring on a primarily downforce car? Right. Right. So the, let's talk, to keep it simple, rather than talk about six springs, let's concentrate on the front axle. So in a normal car, as you described, Marshall, you would have on the right front wheel, you would have one spring and shock absorber that would absorb the bumps and take the load on that on that wheel and one on the left front. And, and in the, let's call it old days, or the pre-third element or third spring days, those were the two springs or two elements that we had. And that was all we had to control the vertical movement of the car and the roll movement of the car. So when the car rolls, it compresses the outside spring and that resists the roll. When the car moves down, like when the downforce presses on it or when it hits a bump or when it comes up over a rise, the vertical movement is also controlled by those two springs and the stiffness of those springs along with the damping of both of the shock absorbers and what became uh important when we got more and more downforce is we had to go stiffer and stiffer on those springs to keep the downforce from pressing the car literally into the road and grinding on the road so what we did if you went stiffer spring, stiffer spring, stiffer shock, 
uh, on the front and the rear, but we're talking front, and the, to keep the arrow loads from bottoming out the car. That worked great until you got to a corner and you turned a medium to slow speed corner. And as we've talked uh, before, stiff springs, stiff shocks don't work as well to make grip as softer if the track is of a normal grip level. So what happened was you would compromise the grip around the corners um, with the stiffer springs because you needed them stiff enough to keep the arrow to control the arrow loads. So what the designers came up with was a way to kind of separate the roll stiffness from the vertical stiffness. And that brought us the third element. And the third element just basically links the two sides of the car, the left front suspension and the right front suspension. And if you picture push rods or rockers or however you want to picture the two front suspension, but those being linked with another shock absorber, it looks just like a shock absorber. It sometimes actually has damping in it. It sometimes doesn't. It just slides. And then you can have a spring wrapped around that, or you can have a bump rubber in there, but it slides in and out. So when the arrow loads press down on the car, both front wheels go up and they, they compress this third element that's between them, kind of like a cross member between the two front suspensions. If both of them are going up, the distance between them get shorter and it compresses the third element, either the spring or a bump rubber. And that gives you an increase in vertical stiffness. But when you get into a corner and the car rolls, the outside tire suspension goes up, the inside suspension goes down, and there's no compression of the third spring. So the stiffness of the third spring or the third bump rubber doesn't contribute any additional roll stiffness. So what we've done with the third element is separate the vertical stiffness of the car or heave stiffness, we call it, from the roll stiffness. Now we can set our third element stiffness to control the arrow load so we don't hit the ground with when we're at maximum speed on the straightaways and when we turn into the corner it basically that third element basically decouples and doesn't become an influence so we can have our nice softer grip making springs to be in effect in roll where we can make good grip through the corner and if you picture that same thing happening on the rear it's can, we can control the whole vertical stiffness of the car while having a completely different roll stiffness. And so we just go faster because we're, there's less compromise where in the past we had to go stiffer on the whole car just to control the arrow loads. So if we talk about this from a just very basic practical application, and I love, I'm telling you, the minute third springs became available for me to play with, I just <laughs> fell in love with them. So from a practical standpoint, going to where Jeff started, we're talking primarily a downforce car, which it seems like today, if you're involved in any kind of pro racing, it's a downforce car. It doesn't have, it doesn't have to be an Indy yeah. car, uh, a GT3 car, you know, uh, granted GT3 cars, probably you're not going to find third springs, but 
downforce is a pretty big and important thing in so many forms of racing. As Jeff mentioned, prior to the concept and advent of third, uh, third spring arrangement, folks like Jeff would throw big, heavy springs onto the car front and rear to manage thousands of pounds of downforce. And so thinking about how the aero platform of a car is vital for performance and having the front ride height and a rear ride height at a specific level as the car is say going down a long straightaway you're going to want your front ride height where you want it the rear ride height where you want it and at that level where it is set that has been predetermined by the engineer is optimal you're going to want it to sit there either making maximum downforce minimum drag you that aero platform is vitally important and to maintain mm-hmm. that prior to the advent of third springs the only way you could do that was by bolting on big big heavy springs and maybe even a lot of shock preload on those springs to help achieve this and that again when a driver would get to a corner just very generic example probably turn the wheel and it wouldn't do a whole lot of turning because the right. springs were so <laughs> stiff that it just made the tires slide as Jeff brought to life last week as a visual, like throwing a cat (laughs) onto ice and having to use its paws and limbs in a supple way to uh, minimize the sliding. And so with a third spring arrangement in front and rear, you're effectively able to use the, those third springs often with some packers, something to truly act as a ride height limit minimum ride height limiter and so these third springs will compress as the downforce increases and increases and once you get to that maximum downforce these third springs front and rear compress and effectively stop right where you want the minimum front and rear ride height to be set and once you break once you start to turn and and whatnot the primary say left front and right front dampers and uh, uh, springs and anti-roll bars do their thing in a more supple way because you don't need those big giant springs to control uh, the downforce that's been separated from the equation by the advent of the third spring exactly and and then we've and then of course like every engineer would do when we get something like that we go okay that that's good we got we got that good out of that now let's carry it to the next step so we start to fine tune the thirds for even more tasks. And obviously when we you're going down a long straightaway and you stand on the brakes, the nose, you know, you get pitched, the nose goes down and we can actually control the pitch of the car into the corner on the brakes by how much third spring we have or how much contact we have with the bump rubber in the third spring, how stiff the third spring is. And the same similar on some tracks where we stand on the gas and the rear squats you can have the third spring catch that and reduce the amount of squat by engaging the third spring we've come up with multiple stage third elements where you might have a gap where it's not involved at all it doesn't contact at all as the car gets pushed down moves vertically down then it might engage the first spring that might be a weaker spring and then engage a second spring to kind of give you a progressive kind of rate and then maybe finish with a very kind of stiff 
um, plastic rubber bump rubber that almost stops it completely. So you can, you can get, you can kind of shape that stiffness curve of your third element. And then you can go further. You can actually add damping to that and to the third spring to control the, you know, the actual damping, not just the force. And then in Formula One and other series, they take it to the next step and they run inerters, which we've talked about already in the third elements to control the accelerations. And then people like Audi and Porsche in their LMP1 cars, and I'm sure others, have interconnected their third springs front to rear so that they actually control the pitch very, very accurately and very precisely. And they can actually lower the rear of the car on the third spring as it goes down the straightaway to reduce drag. And third springs can now get immensely complicated at the higher levels. Fortunately, in DPI, we're not allowed to use damping or inerters, and we're limited to coil springs or um, bump rubbers, you know, a rubber type uh, rubber of different um, durometers sure. and rates and shapes and everything. All kinds of fun. So oh, yeah. we've spoken about third springs, what they are, how they interact with a, a traditional suspension why don't we close on this topic, Jeff, before we move on to our, our final one on, well, so somebody competing next weekend at an SCCA national, a solo one, an autocross, etc., in their road car, their whatever car, uh, it could be a bespoke race car, a Formula Ford mm-hmm. F, Formula something of some sorts that won't have third spring technology to use might have a little bit of downforce though might have something where ride height management is very important what suggestions might you offer to those drivers or engineers again in smaller kind of coming up uh formulas or production-based racing where you'd say okay well you might not have a third spring but if you do have any of the things we've spoken about that you're trying to manage to improve the performance of your car. Is there any suggestions how they might work with what they have? You know, it could be a McPherson strut vehicle for all we know, but something where you go, Hmm, here's some ways you might kind of trick or replicate a little bit of that third spring management without actually having one. Yes. Yes. That's, it's exactly, um, you know, that's a great question. And it's, it puts, it, it, it allows, there's, there are ways to, as you said, replicate, I guess, and the simple way is what we used to do before we had third springs. So let's go back to our two shock absorber front axle, for instance. And let's just pick an example. You have a production car, a street car, a track day car that when you put the brake on, it dives. The nose dives tremendously. And the rear of the car comes up and it's real unstable on the entry to the corner and you're trying to catch it and it's not very comfortable. So if we had a third spring, we would just engage the third spring sooner, keep the nose of the car up in the air so that it was comfortable. Which, what we did before that was we we had bump, most shock absorbers now have some type of bump rubber, some type of plastic, elastic, rubbery kind of 
device that is a, a, around the shock shaft. And then when the shock gets close, when the shock compresses, it starts to compress that bump rubber, and that increases the rate of your spring. Well, there's these things called packers, which are basically plastic discs that you can that have a s- slot in them that you can slip in around your shock shaft to change the gap between your bump rubber and your shock body. As you add these packers, it takes less travel of your shock absorber to engage that bump rubber and start to compress it and increase the spring rate. So if your car is diving too much, you could throw, you could start to add packers to the front shock absorbers. And what will happen is that bump rubber will start to engage as you put the brake on, your spring rate goes up and it holds your car from diving. But then when you slow down, take your foot off the brake in the middle of the corner and turn in, the front comes up a little bit, comes off the bump rubber, and you now have a softer front suspension and you have the good grip for the corner. Yet it only engages when you need it um, under braking. Same with an aero car. You have to get it right, but if you have a car that is producing downforce, you can add packers to your bump rubbers so that it holds it when the arrow load is at maximum on the straightaway, it holds it right where you want it. So it's not touching the ground, but when you slow down for a corner, the arrow loads bleed off, the car comes up, it comes off the bump rubbers and you're on the nice soft springs for the corners. It's, it is tricky. It really helps if you have suspension potentiometers and you can measure on your data system, the exact suspension movement and gap that you have, but, you can also trial and error it and just feel it. You know, your car's diving, throw some packers in it, go drive it. Nah, still diving. Throw more in. Oh, I feel it not diving as much. Okay, you're probably contacting the bump rubbers now. Throw more in. Better, better, better. Okay, but ooh, now it's affecting how it handles in the corner. So I must be on the bump rubbers too much. Pull a little packer out, and now you found the right, the right compromise between having good vertical um use of the bump rubber but being off of it in the corners where it's got good grip and for those who have maybe seen this or wondered again depending on the series the year etc you might notice a small plastic bin a little with a lot of little compartments like you know if you if you happen to do sewing, if you happen to, you might put fishing lures in them, who knows, yep. but might notice that small, probably about the, uh, the general length and width of maybe a sheet of paper and about one or two inches tall, just a little plastic flip top box sitting on pit lane with a team. And in, in that you'll have packers and they will be multiple, uh, packers, uh, cut to specific thicknesses and yep. often if you flip that open yep. and take a look and uh, this is one of the things that uh, in my engineering career various points was something for me to actively manage and make sure we had everything we needed uh you'll yep. see that it'll all be labeled so you'll know if it's again depending on where you are in the world whether it's inches or millimeters uh, it could be a quarter inch packer could be an eighth inch could be a five mil six mil seven mil you name it but that'll yep. be the thing that if you're a mechanic, if you're an assistant engineer, 
you might have a Jeff Brown say, hey, let's pull out the eight mil Packers on the front and go to seven or 10 or something. And exactly. as he mentioned, potentiometers, not as expensive as they once were. It's not too crazy. Again, if you're going to a solo next weekend or an autocross or whatever it is, uh, you know, some of these cars, depending on the data systems that you can afford, not crazy expensive. You might be able to uh, learn this stuff and figure this stuff out just simply through looking at what you're downloading, saying, aha, this tells me my gap should be X amount, and the roll is either too much, too little, front goes too stiff, too soft, under braking, under initial turn in. Maybe I could increase the thicknesses of the Packers or decrease its going hard and numb too soon aha i'm getting into the packer too early and the suspension's going stiff just these little things that you play with and of the many things you might pack and bring with you to the racetrack the uh, the little plastic bin with the various thicknesses of packers is certainly uh something to consider bringing yes it's uh you know the potentiometer thing is is pretty good it just tells you how much your shock absorbers move so you know if you have a gap um, of 15 millimeters and you look at your data system and you see that your shock absorber, when you put on the brakes moved 20 millimeters, you know, you've compressed your bump rubber by five millimeters. And then if you see when you got off the brake and you turned the steering wheel in the middle of the corner, the shock absorber only compressed 12 millimeters. You know that you have a three millimeter gap that those aren't influencing the stiffness of your car and it's all good. So, you, we used to do it with an old tie wrap, tie wrap to the shock yep. absorber, and it's just come back in and look how far it had moved. And it's still not a bad way to do it. It works. It, it measures the biggest bump on the racetrack. If you have a smooth track, it's it's it works and it's pretty accurate. So, yeah, a lot of tricks. But, um, yeah, so there's a way to kind of get the effect of a third spring without a third spring. And um, believe me, we still on our um, – dpi car we still have packers and bump rubbers on the prime springs also um they're just have a different job um now that we have the third springs doing the hard work brilliant well jeff let's move on to our final topic which is hopefully just going to be some fun stories and that is some of the crazier setup things you've tried and or heard of that have either worked perfectly or worked to the exact opposite of what you were hoping for. <laughs> this will be a fun one. I, uh, when when we got this um, question, I thought I started writing down answers and our topics, and I was like, "Oh, this is a long list." So the first one that popped to my mind was a learning experience, which was early in my indie car, or I was actually running indie lights car at the time, oval racing experience, and. I had a very inexperienced driver. He was a rookie in he had done hardly any driving of uh, of any sort, road course or ovals, but he was an Indy Lights car. And at Phoenix, Indy Lights cars were I mean they were they still are. The, the, then they were very very fast like they are now and turn 3 and 4 at Phoenix were the good guys were flat out, no lift. Go down the kind of kinked back straight away and you just never lifted for three and four and out on the front straight away. So my driver goes out and he's 
says to me, he goes, uh, he goes, whoa, man, I got no rear grip. It's just so, the rear is just sliding. I, the rear, I'm scared of the rear. So as a kind of junior, you know, I was the race engineer, but I wasn't uh, super experienced and, and at the time. And so I go, okay, well, we all know softer springs make more grip. So I threw a pair of softer springs in there. Okay, this will grip up the rear. This will give you that rear grip you need. We went back out. And he goes, whoa, yeah, no, no, it's, it's, I got less rear grip for sure. Less rear grip. And I'm like, this can't be right. What am I missing? Oh, he's a rookie. He doesn't know. Uh, I'm I'm really getting this wrong. What am I doing? (laughs) So I went another step softer, same answer again. I'm like, okay, I'll show this guy. He wants to see loose. We'll stiffen this rear of this car (laughs) way up. And let me just interject here. You know, folks, Jeff is, again, one of the world's amazing race engineers. There have been thousands of race engineers throughout the years, I'm guessing. Don't underestimate the fact that if a driver pisses you off, race engineers have a lot of power to be able to say, all right, sucker, really? Well, guess what? I'm going to make a change that uh, isn't necessarily in the best interest of performance, but... All right, pal. Uh, let let's see how loose you really want to try and deal with here. Yeah, that kind that does happen at times. Um, but for me, at, at that time, it was a little bit of that which you were talking about, Marshall. But also, it was like, well, okay, maybe I'm not that. Um, well, I know I'm not that smart. But if I went softer twice and that's not working, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out. Well, maybe we'll try the other way. It can't. You know, maybe that's better. So I went way stiffer with this guy's rear springs and thought, you know, I, I even told him, I said, now just feel this out because this is, should be way slipperier because the it's stiffer. It's going to make less grip. I know it is. And he went out and did like two laps. And he's like, wow, this is awesome. The car is brilliant. It's like, it's like planted. It's uh, makes tons of rear grip. And I love it. And I'm now I'm really confused, and I'm like, okay, well, maybe I need to find another. Career. <laughs> this is not. This not one's too hot. All. This one's too cold. But I thought that was going to be too cold, or and that was going to be too hot. And I don't know. Right, right. This can't be right. This can't be right. So the lesson I finally learned it didn't take too long after that because I knew, you know, he's not lying to me, and and there it was, and we went faster, and he loved the car. And what I learned was there is a big difference between making grip and stability or platform control or movement what this driver was feeling and what he couldn't tell me because he wasn't an experienced driver there's a big difference between an oversteering car and a car that's moving and what he was feeling was the rear of the car moving the tires were still stuck to the road they weren't sliding like he thought and i thought the tires were plenty stuck to the road, but the rear of the car was moving. And when he turned in, he felt the rear of the car move and immediately lifted off the throttle. Oh, my God, I'm spinning. He wasn't. The, car, the tires were stuck, and he was making good grip. But he didn't like the feeling of the chassis moving within the tires. And when I went stiffer, that the chassis didn't move, so he never felt like it was oversteering. And he thought, wow, I got great grip. Even though he had the same grip, he actually, it didn't spook him because the car wasn't moving. So that was kind of a, a crazy, for me, learning experience, but also kind of insane, weird setup thing that I, I actually went, what you would think is the wrong direction to fix the problem. 
but it fixed the problem because I was analyzing the wrong problem. Well, I'll throw in one here to close on a similar driver experience topic. And this was with uh, Mike Wash, who I, I thoroughly enjoyed working with, uh, who went on to become a, I believe, American Le Mans Series uh PC champion, or I'm forgetting whether it was ALMS or uh, if it had been under the IMSA banner by that point. But Mike, who went on and still racing and uh, has become a very good pro am driver, is actually one of the four drivers featured in the uh, Gentleman Racer documentary my uh, mm-hmm. my pal Tony Calderon made. This was would have been I don't know two thousand five six seven when I was uh, doing race engineering still on weekends while I was kind of sort of getting this new career as a reporter going. And so I would engineer Mike in his pro Mazda and what I think they just finally replaced those chassis, the, uh, the star Mazda chassis at, well, I think at the end of 2016, 17, something like that. Um, anyways, love those things, but, uh, very cool cars made downforce, did a lot of things very, very well and served uh, served the road to Indy for decades. Mike, still very early in his driving career, had not really figured out the chassis handling feedback loop. And I'm just trying to think of ways to be kind here. Mike could drive a car very, very, very hard was not prone to mistakes, etc., etc. Couldn't really tell you if the front tires are on the back, the back tires are on the front. Um, that just really wasn't his forte yet. And so I actually, this was kind of fun for me, Jeff, because I just got to do some really kind of wacky, crazy things mm-hmm. you'd never really think to do with, say, a pro Mazda. Uh, something, again, one step down from indie lights in terms of speed and performance and downforce and whatnot. But <clears throat> I remember Good we were cars, at Sears. Yeah. Cars. I remember we were at Sears point, uh, for one of the West coast, uh, pro Mazda races there. What I forget exactly what it was called, but he was just complaining that the front of the car wouldn't turn, wouldn't turn, wouldn't turn. And I had to my recollection run out of ideas on how to make it turn uh, other, we'd thrown some front wing at it to see if it was some form of aero push. He was talking about, didn't get any positive feedback from that. We had softened front springs and, you know, we'd done the normal softening of things mm-hmm. gone to lower tire pressures up front, which wouldn't have been super optimal, but optimal, but I'd tried everything I could think of and said, well, we know the traditional way of if you're having a problem with the front of the car, you'll look to the front first. But if there's nothing there, there's the other engineering mindset, one that I actually probably enjoy more than anything, and that's engineering the problem from the other end. And right. so we, Mike, again, not really knowing technical stuff, I said, all right, well, I'm going to try something a little bit different here uh, in the next session. So we disconnected the front anti-roll bars and i just went to the back of the car 
and we went up on spring rate and we went up on everything. We just made the back of the car much stiffer. So it was going to provide platform control, but knowing that Mike was just really not in a place where he could discern what he needed at the front of the car, I figured, well, I can tell you that if we just go ahead and disconnect the left front suspension from the right front suspension and let them act independently, that sucker's going to turn. It's going to feel just as nice and as comfy as can be. And we still have enough room at the back of the car with a spring rate increase, a rebound, you know, with everything we would want to do from the damping side, et cetera, to get him where he wanted to be. And yep. not only did it work, uh, he went a little bit faster. It wasn't much faster, but he was 10 times happier. And so, right. the, again, just the, the odd thing you do trying to make your driver happy this was, this is not something you would do, as you well know, Jeff. If you're going to Sonoma, disconnecting the, the front roll bars, so they're not involved in providing stability in a lightweight open wheel car with 240 horsepower and wings in the front and in the back. That's not usually the ticket to success. That's the, wow, boy, it gripped initially, but then it just was all over the road, and I can barely control this thing. He was able to control it and loved yeah. it. And yeah. so the cool thing, and maybe I'll just close on this, I didn't do that so much so that Mike could win the day. You know, And, again, I don't think we won. I think we finished second. Uh, but it wasn't done so that Mike could be the ultimate champion on that day at Sonoma, it was, okay, we need to go through some pretty radical sweeps of setup options so he can fast track his learning, his his sure. mental and physical database of chassis setup. So yep, we're going to go radical, radical stuff here, but I know it's going to give him so much feedback and the car is going to move and he's going to feel like it's a, you know, the proverbial Cadillac when he turns in, he's going to love it, but hopefully he's going to get beyond that. And that's actually what happened. So I think, I think I might've done that on a Saturday. I believe there were two races Saturday and Sunday that weekend. I think we came out of things on Sunday with me hearing exactly what I had hoped to hear, which was, yeah, I mean, I, I really like that. I mean, I can just feel everything, and I can chuck it around, and it's so easy to control, you know, the front of the car in particular. But I feel like I'm a little bit lit. You know, I feel like I don't know if I can get any more out of this. And, right. And so the takeaway was, cool, guess what? Next, you know, at the next round coming back here, we're going to reconnect that front bar, and right. we're going to do – some more stuff to try and help you. But it was really cool to hear him, Jeff, go, all right, I went on this weird, well, he didn't know it was weird, but I went on this journey and I got what I liked out of it. But I then started to realize that, okay, you're doing this to make me happy and I'm able to perform a little bit better than I was before, but I've come to realize this isn't actually the fastest way to get speed out of the car. Can we kind of right. go back to where we started, where I wasn't happy? Because I think... I can manage that a little bit better than before. It's, you know, that whole learning thing there uh, about giving newer or 
you know, semi-pro or amateur drivers that experiences. I mean, I, uh, just before we came out here to um, Mid-Ohio, I spent two days at Laguna Seca with my Ferrari Challenge client. And we, I spent most of the two days making the car worse on purpose. I'd make a change that I knew was going to make the front worse or the rear worse. And his job was to go out and drive it hard enough to feel that change. I would make the front, the front of the car understeer more by making a change that I knew would make it less grip. Okay, now go out and drive and tell me and drive it hard enough to feel that. And then he would feel that and then describe it to me. And we continually made the car worse in different ways so that he could then feel the car so that when he has a car that's not doing what he wants, he has something in his database like, oh, that's like when we did that at Laguna at that test. It feels just like that. And he can report it back and understand what's happening. So that's, you know, what she did with Mike was a great learning experience. And, and you know, uh, I could, I will close with people who are out there trying to learn and get better. You know, it's not a bad thing to make your car worse. Some, you'll learn something from it. So just try something. And if it's worse, try to understand. Just like my Indy Lights guy, I made it worse. But wow, that confused me which is actually great because every time I make a change that works exactly like I expected it to, you know, okay, this will do this. I'm sure it will. We put it on driver comes back. goes, Yeah. It did exactly what you said. Good because we're going better, but really bad for me because I didn't learn anything. I knew that was going to happen. The great ones are when they work different or opposite or in an unexpected way. Cause then you're like, wow. Okay. I'm going to get smarter here. I'm not, maybe not in the next three minutes, but I'm not letting this go until I understand this and figure out what really happened. And now I'm smarter. So we're going to lose some listeners when I mention this, but that's fine. Knowing that you and I have a shared passion for the New England Patriots, me specifically, <laughs> because Tom Brady was born in the same town I was born in a few years after me. So he, he had the, the good idea to be born where I was. All kidding aside, what's the thing we hear about when a Tom Brady throws an interception? It's having that short memory. Let it right. go. Don't don't right. let this bad choice you made stick. Bring your spirit down, get you off your game, distracted. It's the same right. thing here, whether you're a young engineer, if you're a, you're a driver slash engineer, like I said, you're competing this coming weekend wherever – you make that wrong setup change. Yeah. If you're in practice, uh, even if you're just, you know, doing a test session. Yeah. You've just wasted some time. You've lost something in terms of quote forward progress in the moment. Have a short memory. Don't let the thing stick. Damn it. I knew I should have gone two PSI lower on my front tires, but instead right. I tried that. Okay. That's again, having that Learn short something. memory is really important. Because that yeah. thing where you go, okay, let me go in thinking like Jeff Brown with these changes I'm making. The ones that I get wrong, it's not like you're happy you got them wrong, but there should be some sort of thing inside you that says, cool, now I know something else. And I've, you know, I have two pieces of paper in front of me. I have the good things I learned on the left and the dumb things don't ever do it again on the right. Um, right. But write them down, document them, and... As odd as it may sound, there could be a time where when you're lost, 
you might actually go and look at the dumb decisions I made. Don't ever do again and go, huh? I wonder if, you know, this, who knows? Maybe in these conditions where it's hotter today, the humidity is higher or lower. Again, ambient conditions can have a lot to do with whether something works or not. There might even be some of the missteps that you end up calling back to because they just might work in a different set of circumstances. Yep. I. When we finish this call right now, I'm going to, I'm, Finishing. I just got back from mid-Ohio, literally drove to the hotel at the airport. And the thing I'm going to do the minute I hang up is write my technical review from the weekend. And it is about a two-page Excel document with probably 30 different topics, camber, caster, toe, ride height, track grip, um, third spring stiffness, prime spring stiffness, arrow. And I write the technical items that I learned, what I would do different next time I come back to Mid-Ohio, what we did good this weekend in each one of those, what we should have done, what I wish I would have done, what was my thinking and why did I do this for each one of those things. And I always write it the night after the race. So it's fresh in my mind. And when I pull that back out next year, when before we come to Mid-Ohio and look at it, it puts me right back in the way I was the last three days at mid Ohio and my mindset, and I can understand my thinking and I can know what I think I did right and what I did wrong. So I don't make those mistakes again in 2020 when we come back with the Nissan DPI. So, you know, it's, there's no tricks to it. It's just, you just got to grind it up. Well, thank you. As always, my friend, I'm still trying to figure out, we say this too often, how you and I were both at the same racetrack and didn't <laughs> see each other. Uh, I, I didn't even see Colin or John. I did see the car, and I did love. Yeah. I did notice, and this is just my stupidity. I did notice on Friday the new ADT security ADT. stickers Happy on the car. Those guys, yeah, ADT. Yeah. So, and again, you know, we're not all about the just sponsor plugs for the sake of it. But I remember seeing that. Took a photo of it. Posted mm-hmm. that photo on the good old tweeters and book faces and whatnot and was like yeah cool and it i swear i'm like there's something that looks new or different there but my brain can't process it then uh aaron siegel puts out a press release saying hey adt's joined us as a new sponsor for the season and i'm like and she did that on saturday i'm like well you dummy if you had actually just noted in your little tweet that hey i'm not sure i recall seeing adt before but congratulations so it took good old aaron to make me realize what i saw is what i saw so that's pretty awesome though yeah, it's a good thing. It's um, it's nice to have a, a sponsor come on board. And, and um, from our standpoint, from a crew and standpoint like that, I don't know the commercial uh, aspects of it. I'm really not involved and don't, to be honest, don't care as long as I um, have the parts and tools and equipment I need to do. And ADT is helping us do that. So really happy to have those guys on board. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's nice when people have some faith in you and, and, and want to join you. So we're looking forward to a good partnership there. Well, the thing that impressed me most was not only do you guys now have the safest pit box in IMSA, but all <laughs> right. the kind of, uh, all the electric fencing put up around the garage. I mean, I thought that was a little much Jeff. I mean, that was a pretty heavy yeah. jolt when I mistakenly grabbed it, but, uh, yeah. And we, you know, you got to punch in that code when you leave See? the garage and then <laughs> punch it in again when you walk in yeah but actually it, but, maybe that's the new trick every time there's a driver change 
right? You know, Colin has to punch in the code to get the door to unlock or vice versa. And if he forgets the code, he's got to stand there in pit lane, call ADT, wait for a representative. See, we're coming. We're doing there. We're doing Aaron's work for her. We've come up with all kinds of great. All right. They're horrible promotions. All right, Mr. Brown. Well, I can barely engineer, let alone promote anything or PR anything. So (laughs) let's get that. Let's move on. (laughs) Well, thank you as always, my friend. As even though I wasn't in Mid Ohio for very long, I still, as usual, had a number of folks come up and say how much they appreciate you, your time, the uh, weekly educations that you offer. So uh, as long as we are, are giving folks something that they enjoy and are making them smarter -er to become the next Jeff Browns, then uh, this is is working the way I had intended. Let's keep doing it, Marshall. I really appreciate it. And uh, we got a big list, and we'll we'll make it longer, I'm sure, with uh, more questions from people, and we'll uh, hit it again next weekend. I'm looking forward to it. With Alex Lynn, after what's been a quite extraordinary six hours of Spa-Francorchamps, it didn't quite go to the distance, but that didn't take anything away from what must have been one of the most remarkable events you've been involved in. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I can't believe that, that we that we pulled it off in the end because there were so many moments where I thought we had it in the bag and then so many moments where I thought we lost it all. Um, I mean, honestly, I think the team today did, a, did an amazing job in the strategy calls. Paul Howarth, chief weatherman, duty this weekend, he pulled a blinder every, every single call um, and all almost every single time the, the weather hit exactly what we thought so I mean making tyre decisions fuel decisions everything was, was so tough um, but honestly yeah just, just really proud to be part of it we were seeing on the screens in the commentary booth every time we were getting to the stage where it was getting dry, you were struggling there on your wet tyres, but you had such a tiny window to decide whether or not to change tyres yes. or not more yes. than once in that race. Yeah, I mean, honestly, and it was, I, I kept on asking, what are the slick runners doing? What are the slick runners doing? Yeah, they're not, not fast enough, not fast enough, not fast enough. I think they had maybe one or two laps where they were fast enough. But they're like, rain's coming in five minutes. It's like, oh, do we box, do we not? And then we didn't. We boxed as soon as it started pummeling down Max jumped in the car full wet full fuel and then that was us to the end which which was crazy because it was still like an hour and 35 minutes left in the race Aston Martin always knew it was likely to be strong here for this car mm-hmm. this was always going to be one of those races that it had high hopes for with that in mind and knowing that you guys were hunting that first win that mm-hmm. you now got mm-hmm. Was it worse being in the car in those conditions or watching Max in those conditions? The way worse watching Max. Way worse. I mean, honestly, I couldn't even stay in the, in the engineering room when you know, they were like shouting this, shouting that. We need this many laps under the safety car to make the fuel last. And I was like, I just need to leave it because honestly, my heart rate's higher than when I'm in the car. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, honestly, just a lot of big, big strategy calls from the guys in the team. And um, yeah, just really proud to be a part of that. Let's talk about the conditions. Quite extraordinary. Mm-hmm. I mean, blizzard conditions more than once and then back to bright sunshine mm-hmm. again just from your perspective as a driver how tough was it just one keeping the thing on the island but then beyond that a really close contest between every single one of the factory teams here yeah I mean honestly to even compete against these guys like there's no quarter given in the racing as we as we see on a regular basis but then the pressure to make the right call whether it's from us in the cockpit the race engineer the strategy guys it's um, you know there's a lot of radio chatter during a lap you know just discussing the conditions 
Yeah, I mean, the hardest bit was when it, it wasn't difficult when it rained, but then it was like, do we go full wet or inter? Because if it's going to dry too quick, are we going to have enough time on the full wet or the full in or the inter? And it was just, that for me was the, the most stressful time all the time, was it full wet or inter? Because when we're going so often into safety car periods, mm-hmm. a small error would have a big consequence. On track position and also... You know, with the red, with as the race was looming at the end, track position was more important because you see this huge band of weather coming in. It's like we need to be in the lead. We didn't box for for fuel again, uh, so I think Maxine was on fumes by the end. Um, but I mean, just just a great way to win. Cars going strong at the end of what's been a very long championship. It clearly wasn't a great Le Mans mm-hmm. introduction for the new car, but it is now a completely different proposition. Coming into Le Mans in just a few weeks' time, championship's gone. Mm-hmm. So you've got one focus, which is that one big yeah. race. I mean, honestly, as a car crew, we've been hunting this trophy or even win for a long time. Um, and the, and I think as a car crew, we've been very competitive all the time, but we haven't got the, the results we wanted. Um, we've got a, a big old tyre test at Monza for, for three days with the team coming up, and we've got a lot of development coming in with the car for a new Le Mans package. So from our side, we there is no stone being unturned with uh, with this new vantage. Give me an idea of what you think the chances are for, for this team as a whole, across the two crews, and for your crew. I, honestly, as long as we're in the fight, that's all I care about. We're in the fight for the podium, for the win. I want to do some proper dicing like we did today at the biggest endurance race in the world, which is Le Mans. Um, last year we sort of drove around for 24 hours on our own and I'm, I think we we're all very very hungry to, to go to for now with everyone for a young man you've been in an awful lot of racing an awful lot of different sorts of racing and perhaps GT racing wasn't the initial plan mm-hmm. now you're here you're yeah it. I love it honestly I think GT Pro is one of the hardest things I've ever done especially to get a result um, it's and the driving level the team level the manufacturer level is, is off the dial so I think to to win at this at this stage it's, it means a lot especially partnering Maxime who's a local legend and also sports car legend in his own right which is really cool British guy British team British car mm. on the top step of the podium with the national anthem mm. That was a proud moment. Very, very proud moment for me. I think um, it's just extremely cool to be a part of that, really. And it's uh, been a long time coming for us. And uh, yeah, it just feels really nice. Thanks, Thanks really. Thanks, Cheers, mate. Dane Cameron, so happy to see the thing that you have wanted most for the last year and three or four months, which is to bring a victory to Accurate Team Penske. Not only did you and our pal Juan Monterrier achieve that Sunday in mid-Ohio, you guys put in some pretty storming performances behind the wheel there in your ARX 05. Before we get to the finer points of the victory, let's just start with the two of you guys appearing to be just driving like monsters to get the job done. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been really fun, honestly, driving um, with Juan. And yeah, like you say, it's been, it's been a long time, long time coming. And, uh, we've had a lot of really good runs. We just haven't been able to put it all together. We just made little mistakes, errors, kind of about every, everything that we could have done wrong or could have failed kind of has sort of happened and for various reasons. And, uh, we've, I mean, we're, we're leading at halfway points or probably to the last stop of, probably five or six races last year and just weren't able to seal the deal. So 
uh, yeah, just kind of a nice relief and weight off the shoulders and a monkey off the back to, uh, to finally break through. So up until that point, yeah, I mean, the, the pace has been really good and the, and the driving has been really good, I, I think. So hopefully now from here we can, we can build and, and win a bunch more, but it was, it was good. And I was, I was pretty motivated to get to the front for sure. So I guess the obvious statement alert here is two wins for Acura Team Penske since the program debuted in 2018, both of those at Mid-Ohio. Honda slash Acura, well-known as having production plants in Ohio. Lots of folks from those plants invited out to come see the team perform. The event, sponsored by Acura. Is there some magic sauce going on here? that just makes the ARX-05 work at Mid-Ohio, maybe at a higher level than the other cars? Do you guys just test there in secret 24 hours a day? <laughs> What's the cheat code here to two wins at the same track two years in a row? Uh, I think a number of things, really. Uh, last year, we tested last year before the race, and at that point, I think we were one of the only certainly one of the only prototype teams that got to test there last year. Um, and I can't remember if we did one day or two day, but, and obviously team Penske has a really big history there from the IndyCar stuff. So we had a pretty big notebook and we had a really good test. So we kind of came out really strong last year and kind of dominated the weekend, you know, let every single session pull race win one, two. So we were pretty confident that our car was going to be good. And, and also I think it suits the ARX 05. A little bit as well. The uh, kind of the Orca base chassis is really good in uh, in the high downforce tracks and somewhere that's smooth like that. So just a lot of things really kind of played into our wheelhouse there to be uh, to be really strong. So we knew it was going to be a good weekend for us, you know, performance wise. We hope, uh, and then like you say, it was also really important for us as a you know as a team that's sponsored by um, by Acura and all the people that are going to be there. So when you the races that you want to win personally and obviously the big kind of token enduros but uh those title sponsor races are obviously super important as well so really nice to to check that box and uh and make the people who pay the bills really happy and uh you know and all the people who who work day in and day out to to build the acura and honda road cars looks like the arx05 has been very effective this year it's second year uh, in existence very very competitive at daytona sebring was good i don't know if i'd say it was you know a butt-kicking event from a competitiveness standpoint but uh, yet again at long beach the car seems the cars seem to be definitely right up there is there anything you've seen or felt within the program with this car with the engine the chassis etc developmentally dane from year to year that has helped this or are there other aspects that come to mind as to why the car is seeming to be there, thereabouts, almost everywhere we've gone this year? I don't think there's any one particular thing that we really have turned a page, I, I don't think. Um, you know, HPD has been really great this year. You know, we've made some improvements, I think, on the, the traction control side that's, that's helped us a little bit. Um, but really, it's just being year two in the program and now we have a notebook for everywhere that we go and we know what we did wrong last year and we can kind of avoid all those pitfalls where we're kind of going in blindfolded the year before and didn't really know 
where to jump off from, you know, just all the little things, gearing and ride height, and you just don't know how those are going to affect your car. Places that Team Penske had never even been before, like, you know, the entire motorsport park, which you haven't been to yet, but um, we just didn't know. And we didn't know Long Beach, we were fast last year, but we didn't really know that tire wear was going to be so bad. So Juan was on pole, but we totally fell off the map later in the race and, you know, things like that. So now you can go into this thing in, in the second year and be like, okay, this is what we ran last year. This is what we did wrong in the race. This is where we're good. This is where we're bad. We need to kind of to avoid that. We need to go here now because we just understand the car so much better. Uh, and you really now it's a fine tuning where as last year, it was our first year of the program, but the Cadillac teams were on year two of their program. So they were just a lot further ahead. So it took us a little while to get caught up and we kind of had those flashes of brilliance last year and, and a few times. And I think now we're uh, a much more regular competitor uh, to, to get those race wins. So like you said, Daytona was really good for us. Still weren't able to quite seal the deal. The six car, my car had a problem, unfortunately. Sebring had a pole, had a pole position for me, which was really fun. And the car was super fast, but we were not very good in the wet. And, uh, and then my car again had some unfortunate mechanical gremlins and Long Beach double podium, but missed out on the win. So, and uh, Elio had the pole there. So, uh, yeah, much more consistent performance this year, I think. And it's really just evolving from everything we learned from the first year of the Sakura Team Penske program. And, you know, we've got both cars within striking distance of the championship and, uh, got another win. So now, now I think phase two is going to be proving that this program can win somewhere besides mid Ohio. <laughs> Either that or you guys are now lobbying for the. 2020 calendar to be 10 events at mid Ohio, yeah. uh, start yeah, off the 24 that, hours that of mid Ohio, well. then the 12 hours, then the hundred minutes of mid Ohio and all kinds of fun. Uh, <laughs> the way it looks right now, that would be about perfect. But <laughs> Well, let's, let's look at your opening performance in the race, Dane. So we had Harry, uh, not Harry, good Lord. Uh, we had our friends, Ollie Jarvis and the Mazda team in the number 77 RT 24 P on pole. Uh, obviously the accurate you and the Acura guys are right up front close to them. We had some Cadillacs right behind you. Seemed like the early portion of the race was fun. Uh, you definitely capitalized on a little bit of, uh, error and judgment on Ollie's part in traffic heading into turn one. Uh, he seemed to turn that around a little bit later. Let's describe to us the, your, the opening stages of the drive from your side, at least where, Man, I don't know if I've seen a busier, more congested mid-Ohio two-hour and 40-minute race or whatever. You know, going back to Grand Am days, ALMS days, just seemed like you being able to just fly and other guys being able to set rocking laps. Yeah, that wasn't happening, man. You're tripping over people constantly. Everybody was. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of the name of the game when you get near near to 40 cars on a, a small track like mid ohio and and obviously it, the distance isn't so much of it it's the flow of that track it really only has three straight segments you know a really short one down the front straight away and then to and from the keyhole so once you get past turn four you really it's really difficult to pass and it gets really high risk uh, and you need a little bit of cooperation with GT cars and prototypes to, to coexist, as our friend Bo Barfield always likes to say, uh, down through there. So it's it's a challenge for for sure. And it once you get into the race, it becomes less about the car performance and more about traffic management. And uh, obviously, I, I feel like I've been in 
sports cars long enough now to be able to read read the traffic pretty pretty well and i think that's something i do uh really strongly is uh place the car well and kind of figure out the right places to give up give up the time and where you can force the issue and, and where not to because at the end of the day you can't just barge into everybody otherwise you don't live to the end of the race so uh the start honestly i was and also to i was just super pissed off from qualifying to be perfectly honest like really really pissed off an angry uh, son of kiwis that's an effective yeah. that's an effective being <laughs> in a race car I, I really thought we should have been on pole. Um, I thought our car was more than quick enough. Uh, it was just a really messy, messy session with, again, now we have a pretty decent prototype field. Everyone's kind of doing their own thing, trying to get their own space and trying to do laps at different points. And then some guys are trying to cool off their tires and then you trip over them when you're trying to do two laps in succession to get your front tires to work. Cause it was 45 degrees and a half wet track. So um, I just really didn't think I, I was able to put, I never did two laps in a row at speed. So, which was not what you need at mid Ohio. So, uh, I was pretty angry and thought we should have been on pole and was pretty convinced that I was going to figure out a way to get to the lead in the first corner and only got the second. So, um, I was still annoyed <laughs> and there was, there's pretty much no way I was going to get out of the car and, and not be in the lead. I was going to find a way some, some way and kind of settled in there behind Ollie for a couple laps and, kind of waited for for traffic basically to to bring the opportunity back to me a little bit and kind of rode there and traffic opened it up pretty quickly and able to to get through and pull a nice little gap and and just kind of ride there and try to manage the traffic and you, you're just listening to the gap change every lap one minute it's eight seconds and then you come to the traffic first so then it's four seconds and then it's back to seven and it's just constantly going up and down so it's really hard to know uh if you're doing a good job or not, you're just trying to keep the number from shrinking too much really. And, uh, you know, turn it over to, to Montoya there at the first, first opportunity. And yeah, what, what gave me the opportunity to get to the lead literally played out exactly in reverse. And, uh, it went back in always favor there for, uh, the middle part of the race. So you were doing some really impressive things handed over to our boy Montoya. And one of the things that I saw last year was, I can't say that we always witnessed the sharpest JPM. It seemed like there were times where there was a little bit of drop off. Uh, Obviously he's one of the fastest human beings in the world, but just from a consistency standpoint in a stint in attacking and whatnot seemed like might've been a few times where for whatever reason, there was something that wasn't quite there. No concerns about that at all on Sunday. He was absolutely on the boil. How much fun is it for you just being able to hand off to a guy who's already a legend, you know, uh, it's still competing actively, but how much do you enjoy being being able to hand off a car to Montoya and then just watch him in his element being an absolute beast and take that thing home to victory lane? Yeah, it was, uh, it was perfect really to be honest. So, it, last year, I think we we put him up against the fence a couple of times where we were trying to get track position and we didn't really give him enough fuel a couple of times. Uh, the BOP kind of went kind of upside down in the back half of the year, especially towards the wet cars. So he definitely didn't get a fair shake out of it a number of times last year. And, and like I said, we didn't really know the car that well. So there's a few races where we just blitz the tires off the thing and stuff like that. So. Mm. 
Uh, and also I think for him, you know, his first year in, uh, in sports cars as well, you, it takes a little bit of time to figure out how to manage the races and manage the traffic. And he definitely got a lot better at that as, as year went on. He stopped, first couple of races were definitely kind of rubbing elbows with some guys and, and upsetting some people. But by the end of the year, I think you really got a pretty good flow for, uh, for how to get through that. So it was just really kind of a culmination of everything finally kind of coming together and just going to plan. But in general, it's yeah, super, super fun and special to be able to drive with the guy. Like you say, he's been in, been in everything and, and won in everything. And uh, so just to have him as a teammate and to, to drive for Roger Penske is, is pretty awesome. And, and we're just having a lot of fun right now, him and I. So it's a, a really good working relationship. And uh, there's no, for what you would maybe expect for, for the two of us, is actually pretty minimal ego and nonsense and all that kind of stuff is well the nonsense is pretty high i guess i shouldn't say that but uh, 100% nonsense is, yes when you're around that guy yeah yeah it's 100% nonsense but the ego side is actually really low and, and fun and we we just want to win you know we don't really care who finishes the races or who qualifies who starts it's kind of we've just been going back and forth this year and kind of rotating and um even up until qualifying actually for this weekend we didn't really know who was going to qualify. Yeah, he's he did a great job on the street courses at Long Beach and Detroit last year, so we thought, okay, he can do those again. And then we came here, and we didn't really have much dry time, so it was kind of like, well, I think you should qualify. No, I think you should qualify. Well, I think you were a little fast. that is so cute. <laughs> it was like five minutes for a session. I was like, well, who's going to go? Well, somebody, somebody just tell us who's going to qualify the damn thing, and we'll just – Get on with it. <laughs> Both of you climb in the car. You work the steering wheel. You work yeah. the pedals. Off you go. It was pretty funny. So, uh, but no, he did a he did an outstanding job, and uh, it's nice to uh, to have good confidence in one another, and uh, that we know the other guy can get the get the job done, whether it's qualifying or, or closing the deal at the end of the races. So it's uh, it's pretty cool. So it's nice to have that first one out of the way for the two of us, and. Uh, Nate, Nate from Insta made a comment that that was the first time he had won a Minsa race that was anywhere other than Daytona. So that was pretty funny, too. So uh, <laughs> now he can prove he's won a sports car race somewhere besides, uh, you know, where they give you a watch at the end of it. Yeah, see, I see how it is. Well, let's close on this, Dane. So with the win, uh, you guys have moved up a spot in the championship. You've you've cut the, the distance to the leading number 31, Whelan engineering action express cadillac with felipe nazar and pipo durani so you've cut that gap in half which uh, obviously is not a bad thing at all knowing that we're heading into what will become a fairly busy stretch once we get to detroit and then just start running through you know a number of races until we get to the championship give me your thoughts on being able to hopefully continue to rally to be in the championship picture closer in the championship picture and also what it was like I know this is something you and I have spoken about before, which is kind of a, I don't want to say dream, but you knew it would be meaningful. Having Roger Penske there, congratulating you on winning your first race for him. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's already been a busy stretch, to be honest, Marshall. I've been on the on the road, I feel like a cup driver. I've been on the road like every weekend, basically, since, uh, since April 1st, really, uh, doing different stuff. And that was my other program in... Uh, in uh, Bunkpen GT World Challenge America, did I get that right? Uh, we just <laughs> call it blank, blank face, blank, <laughs> blank stare, pain face. I think, and yeah, I mean you, yeah. you won there coming it's into mid Ohio, so you've been on a great little roll for Acura. Yeah, no, that's been cool. It's uh, 
it was a little bit annoying to have a bit of a dry spell last year and then not get a win in anything. And to only have done 10 races. So uh, I was happy to, to add some other races to the calendar, even though it turned into a pretty busy uh, April and, uh, and May went, went by pretty fast and will continue to. So that was, was good. So yeah, no, uh, hopefully we can keep that, keep that rolling really. And it's hard to make up points in this, in this series with the way the, the points are given out, you know, it's kind of, what is it? It's three points from first to second and then kind of two from there. So, you know, as long as your contenders are kind of there, thereabouts, you even if you beat them, you're only making up one or two points uh, at a shot. So it was good to kind of get the big um, capitalize on, on a bad weekend for, for your competitors and get a win and kind of take the maximum points away that you could and, uh, and slash that a little bit. And there's definitely some tracks coming up that were super strong for us last year. Um, then I'm confident again, we, we should have some chance to win and hopefully it's a nice shot in the arm for all the crew guys and the team and, um, that everything is, we have what we need to, to win and we know what to do now. So we got that kind of out of the way and, and hopefully they can uh, keep coming and we can win a couple more and, and continue to dig. So after having a bad Daytona and Sebring, it was starting to look like a little bit of a write-off really for the year championship wise. And, and you kind of just revert to okay, well, let's just try to win a couple of races and we'll, we'll just see what shakes out. And maybe we can't win the championship, but you know, at least we'll get a few wins type of thing to now being eight points out instead of 16 or 18, whatever we were coming into the weekend. So now, you, now you're back in the game. So all it takes is another win or two, um, you know, and, and to beat those other guys a couple of times still with, well, it's still five to go, I guess, five or six to go, right? So, yeah. um, yeah, it's, it's kind of all to play for now. So definitely, you know, if we are able to win the championship, Mid-Ohio will certainly be the weekend that kind of set the tone and, and put us back in the game to to do that for sure. So, uh, yeah, hopefully hopefully that can happen. And, uh, again, like you said, to to have Roger Penske there at the track and he's in he's in our stand on the sixth car. So uh, to sit next to him was, was cool as that whole thing was unfolding. So that's actually, I think, the first IMSA race I've ever won where I haven't finished. So uh, to be honest, I don't know why. A two-hour, 40-minute race seems awful long when you only do about 40 <laughs> minutes of it and you have to watch the rest of it. It was, it was painful. I was, uh, it was awful, man. To sit there and, and wait for it to be over is, is way, way more stressful than just driving the car and just getting numbers and, and doing your thing. So... Uh, I hated that part, to be honest. So hopefully we can win a couple more races where I get to finish. I don't have to sit there and wait for it to be over. Um, but super cool to have to have Roger there. And he came straight from Australia where those boys are, are kicking some ass down there right now in the Supercar Series. So uh, really, he basically flew straight there and, and showed up to the track. So it was good enough to disappoint him because he uh, <laughs> coming straight from there with so high expectations and uh, – yeah, always nice to get a good good handshake from Roger after that, and uh, to be to be a race winner for for Team Penske and, and add your name to that list is is pretty special. And uh, one of the PR guys texted me this morning and said that I'm uh, number 51 of all the guys who won for Roger. So uh, that's my number on the on the place in history there now. So pretty pretty awesome. And hopefully hopefully it's not just one. Hopefully there's many more to come. So. Absolutely, and you know, I guess a final thing that comes to mind, knowing that Monterrier was on our Acura Mid Ohio presented weekend sports cars podcast that we did live to close out Friday, where Acura brought a hundred hot dogs. We did eat all one hundred were consumed. 
Just curious Ooh. if you had to stuff a couple of those into the cockpit for Montoya, knowing he was going to be in the car for about two hours. Yeah, I mean, you always need a little some snacky snacks there as the race goes on. So, <laughs> well, I'm disappointed. He he did not bring any to me after the fact. So I'm uh, I will have to talk to him about that. I did not know you had food. So I will have to give him some crap and ask him how come he did not bring me dinner after that. Absolutely. Dean Cameron, happy for you, pal. And as you said, absolutely no way. This is number one and only number one. You'll, uh, in theory, be doing plenty more of this along with your teammates. And looking forward to a close, you know, as we start to ramp towards this quick run to the end of the season. Really looking forward to see what's going to happen as the Acura team, all the Cadillacs, it seems, Mazda as well, and hopefully the uh, core Nissan team will kind of get back into the mix where we've expected to see the Nissan. Looking forward to a rather exciting close as we start to sprint towards the end of the championship. So congratulations again, my man. Yeah, thank you so much. I think, uh, like you say, anybody can win right now. Uh, the, the level is really, really high and really competitive. And, you know, three of the Cadillac teams have won and, and the Acura is now. And uh, Mazda continues to get stronger by the weekend. So, um, you know, they're, they're going to be a threat from here on out. So it's going to be, it's going to be really tough. And, uh, but yeah, I think we had a great shot at it. And certainly I feel like, uh, a little bit of the, my championship years there have always kind of been the, the Dixon strategy of you totally tank in the first two races and then, uh, start winning races in the middle part of the year and, and steal it away in the last couple of races. So, uh, I'm not really too fond on when the two biggest races of the year are the ones that you end up losing that, that set up the championship as much as I like winning the championship, but it'd be nice to win some of the big races, but, uh, you know, a championship at the end will be consolidation for sure. So hopefully, uh, Hopefully two bad races to start the year will uh, set us up for my normal uh, push to win the title here in a few months. Have you ever passed a Maldonado been involved in a race with conditions like that? <laughs> Never I drove in the snow, but uh, yeah, I, I used to to enjoy racing on the wet. You know, I used to be uh, always very good on, on those kind of conditions. We knew... Uh, what was going on during the weekend we prepared ourselves to those conditions we showed that we were ready to react in the in the right time you know uh, especially when on the moment when I jump in the car my turn uh, I say okay now it's my turn now I go for it and uh, I did my best job you know I I think the team is is doing a pretty good job uh, the driver lineup is maybe the strongest of all the championship we have a great silver uh, we, we have uh, Anthony on the other side you know we are combining all of our experience to grow up race after race I think if you go back to where we start you know uh, and where we are now is uh, is great it's amazing the, the improvement we've been doing uh, in the last four races we've been always in the podium so we are really looking forward to continue like this especially in Le Mans Le Mans is our target for this year and uh, yes let's do our best we are looking for performance now so. you've clearly hugely enjoyed this you're, you're, it's been a delight to see your reaction yes. to sports car racing some huge events Le Mans already in the book for yes. you Daytona and a, and a win in the class there yes 
and chance again to go to Le Mans and take that win. And also, because of the win today, you stay in the championship. You could of still do it, even only mathematically, and it relies on other people having back. Yeah, this is our main target, you know. Yeah. And Le Mans is a, a pretty long race, so we need to keep continuing like we need to keep continuing like this and, and try to get the hundred percent of of our package. Uh, as I mentioned before, from the drivers' lane now, we've been working very closely and together just to grow up together. You know, our silver is is becoming very strong now. You know, his experience also from the past. Uh, we, we 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 are growing up together. We are putting our experience and our passion together. You know, to enjoy. But not always racing, not only racing, and to enjoy winning. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a pretty positive moment for, for the team. Two more questions. One is about every team as a family. Every team is a family. Dragon yes. Speed, small team. Small team. Doing yes. a lot of things LMP1, LMP2, yeah. Indy 500. Yeah, this is not an advantage for us. <laughs> I need to say, this is not an advantage for us. But uh, the spirit we have in the team is is very is very good, you know. And uh, I think uh, we are transmitting confidence to the team, to the our guys, you know. Is is pretty close guys, and uh, yeah, we are looking forward to, to, as I mentioned before, to continue like this and to get the 100% from the package, from the team, from the drivers, and um, Alemán is not only a dream, it's our main target. We said we need to, to win uh, Spa, we are here, and now the next step is do our best for Le Mans. Final question, before we get to Le Mans, is about next year, and it's an odd thing to ask in the middle of a year. Yes. Pastor Maldonado, what are your plans for 2019-20? Yes. you want to come back and have another crack at this? Maybe yes, maybe yes. Uh, and, and now looking looking around, for sure, you you always want more and more, you know. And, and, and yes, when I said uh, I stopped by two years, you know, after my, my, my period in Formula 1, I take a very good rest with my family, you know, together, and recharge all the batteries, and I said, okay, this is now time to... to to come back, and we are doing this. We are doing it in in, in my best uh, shape, you yeah. know. So I'm enjoying that. So I'm looking forward to to do still my best in the future. Hopefully, I will stay here in the category, but uh, we'll see. I'm going easy life. If if I have the chance to, to continue, I will. You know, if not. I will look forward around. Pastor Maldonado, you've been a pleasure all season. Thank Hope you. you're back. Well done. Let you go and celebrate with you. Thank you. Jack Hawksworth, you put on the absolute ice-cold, cold-blooded drive of the event at Mid-Ohio. I know that Mario Farnbacher found every ounce of grip remaining in his Michelins behind you trying to get by. You drove, brother, like you didn't even know he was there. Tell us about this really important achievement for AIM Vassar Sullivan Racing and only their, what, third event, uh, and also for Lexus under this new banner. It's pretty amazing stuff you and your teammate did on Sunday. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was an outstanding day. Um, you know, I, I like you touched on for for the, you know, the new AVS team um, to win on, on just their third outing. After all, you know, already having a podium at the first event at Daytona, uh, you know, it's just been such a strong, st- strong start, and it's you know, a real testament to 
to everyone involved, you know, who put it together so quickly, um, you know, and and also the uh, you know pedigree of the uh, the GT3 car that Lexus have produced. So first of all, you know, that's obviously you know fantastic, and uh, I couldn't be prouder of everybody. Uh, and then the race itself was <laughs> it was intense to say the least. Um, you know, my my part at the end, the, the battle with Mario, I really enjoyed that. I've actually driven alongside Mario um, in the same car before, so I know him, I know him very well. I have a lot of respect for him. He's, you know, he's a quality driver, and uh, it was good, hard, fair racing. Uh, at the end of the race, we got a little bit lucky because a yellow came out for us, kind of closed the gap to the uh, to, to the Acura who we'd been we'd been fighting all race long, and uh, you know, I was able to I was able to get the better of him on, better of him on that restart. So, Jack, let's talk a little bit about the development of this team in such a short amount of time, and then after that, let's talk about your co-driver, who I think for many. Folks were saying, well, let me rephrase that. Folks were doing a lot of Googling Saturday afternoon after <laughs> qualifying, saying, wait a minute, who put this thing on the pole? But let's start with the team itself. You are really the main, I guess, in terms of visibility, the main carryover from the previous Lexus program run by 3GT. What is it that you've seen in this combination of the well-proven Canadian A-Motorsport team plus the uh, the new combining with Vassar Sullivan. What is it that you've seen here that has allowed it to be so effective right away? I think uh, the big thing is is we're just we're working on the basics, getting the basics right and um, you know, really building a good foundation for which to um, you know, to continue to improve and uh, like you say, it's a kind of a conglomerate of uh, a few different entities. You know, you've got Lexus who have been running in the GTD series with another team. Now with Aim Bassett Sullivan, you've got Aim, which is a you know sports car team had a lot of a lot of success in the past in the in the IMSA series, and then uh, you know Jimmy Vassar and James Sullivan, who are synonymous with IndyCar. So we put two or three different entities together, and um, everybody's everybody's working well. Everybody's uh, kind of singing off the the same hymn sheet, and um, you know, it's not been it's not been all smooth smooth sailing, but I think. We've been able to, and the team's been able to identify issues quickly um, and just make, make make really strong progress. And um, you know, it was shown right from the off at Daytona with that um, with that podium for the 12 car. And now we've kind of backed it up with with another one in only the third race. So it's just a you know, testament to everybody involved, and you know the the people we've got on board. We've got we've got a great bunch of people. So I only see us improving really at this at this point. One thing that sports car fans know is that the GT Daytona class, Jack, is just overwhelmed with super high caliber AM drivers, the bronzes, the silvers. So knowing that, to see Richard Highstand grab the pole here after a fairly prolonged hiatus, I know that he didn't just come back to racing in January at Daytona, but his career had a pretty long pause to it. And it's not as if he did a ton of racing to keep himself warm throughout. Tell us about learning to work with him and what you have found. Because I will freely admit, going into this season, I wasn't sure how competitive you guys were going to be, knowing that he did have this fairly long break. Well, he's uh, he's got an amazing story in racing, to be honest. If you ever get a chance to kind of kind of sit down and speak with him, it's, it's definitely worth listening to. Um 
you know, he's done obviously done an absolutely phenomenal job at the weekend, and I think a lot of people, like you said, they were probably googling googling him and, and checking checking where he <laughs> where where he came from. Um, but he he raced back in the uh, you know the Formula Atlantic days. Uh, he was kind of coming up the ladder. Um, I think he won some uh, Skip Barber races. Um, didn't didn't have a lot of experience in karting, but you know, showed good talent as soon as he got into a. Uh, into into a race car and then um, you know for for whatever reason it it, it didn't kind of you know things didn't materialise and um, I guess he went went and uh, started started life in the real world outside of the racing bubble and uh, ten years on decided he wanted to come back give it another go and uh, I mean he's been uh, he's been phenomenal really when you consider how long he's had out of the car you consider how high the standard is uh, in this series with the silvers uh, and the bronze drivers. I mean, you've only got to look against the silver he was competing against at the beginning of the race this weekend, Trent, Trent Hinman. Um, you know, Trent's a you know, really fast, up-and-coming young driver, tons of experience. He's racing all the time, in the car all the time. I remember him racing F2000, I think, when I was I was in Indy Lights or Indy Cars. So he's, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a top top driver yep. um, with, with a ton of experience and Richard's coming back into this 10 years out and he's you know he's, he's competing with this guy and uh, he's able to you know turn laps and, and do things in the car which you know really for, with, with the amount of time he's had in the car uh, you wouldn't believe it's possible but he's, he's doing a, he's doing a great job his lap in qualifying um, was phenomenal it was change, changeable conditions uh, and it's drying up, slicks on a slicks on a drying track, and any racing driver will tell you those conditions are, are where you where you earn your money because every lap the the track's evolving, uh, the grip levels going up, and you've got to have such a good understanding of what you've got underneath you to get the most out of it. And he, you know, he he dominated that session, so I was really impressed with him. And uh, me and him have been been working well together. He's he's a strong character, so we kind of. Uh, you know, initially uh, bumped heads a little bit, but we've we've come to really really work well together, and uh, I'm really enjoying it to be honest. So, you know, I say super impressed with him at the weekend. His qualifying was 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 spot on, and his uh, his first stint was was you know perfect, no mistakes, no wheels dropped, just fast laps and consistent. So, really impressive, really impressive. Let's close, Jack. Looking at getting into the next rounds and, and starting to build momentum towards the end of the year. We're looking at what the two of you have achieved here uh, with this win. You guys have jumped from, I believe, seventh or so in the standings to third. We have, at least in the Drivers' Championship, we have your teammates in second, you guys in third as a whole. The team is really executing at a very high level as a brand-new entity what comes to mind, though, when we talk about heading to Detroit, a place where uh, we hope there's a lot of suspension travel in the good old Lexus RCF because you spend a lot of time going vertical, not necessarily forward with all the big bumps and jumps and whatnot. Then we go to Watkins Glen with huge, smooth, super grip. Then we go north of the border to Canadian Tire Motorsport Park where uh, similar high-speed flowing track what comes to mind with this Lexus Jack in terms of what you think you might have for an ability to go from polar opposites of a gripless, super bumpy Belle Isle to super smooth and flowing Watkins Glen? 
you think you guys might be able to maintain this consistency across those types of different tracks? That's certainly the aim, and that's the um, you know really interesting thing about this this category is, is because it's not a spec series, and because we have lots of different types of cars, you know, front front engine cars, rear, uh, you know, rear engine cars, different, completely different cars stylistically. They do work very different, um, and some of them are strong in certain areas, some of them are strong in others. So, for us, we kind of know where our strengths are with with with, with our car. Um, Motorsport and Watkins Glen are, are, are particularly good circuits for for, for our um, for, for the Lexus RCF GT3. Uh, it always it's very very strong in the high speed corners. It has a really good platform. Um, it's not very lazy uh, like you would expect a, a GT3 car to to be. It's more like a prototype feel. Um, so it really suits those those kinds of tracks. And uh, to be honest, Detroit you would think would be one we'd struggle at, but in the past we've actually been been pretty strong there um and and the car does well work well um over the bumpy bumpy surfaces as well so i would expect the next three on paper should be good for us lime rock that's usually a tricky race for us and then uh the the following road america and uh vir are usually are usually okay as well so um really we should be we should be able to I would have thought we'll have the equipment to, to, to run quite well in these in these next few races, but it'll be up to us to ex- execute. Well, let's wrap on this, Jack. How are things for young Jack Hawksworth, race car driver? You know that I, as I always tell you, man, I really want to get you back in IndyCar because I think you didn't necessarily have the fairest of shakes there, but are you happy? Are you fulfilled in this role in sports cars despite being a young guy with Indy 500 experience, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, look, I'm a lot happier today than I was than I was before this weekend. Um, <laughs> you know, win, winning, winning, winning is what it's all about. And uh, to be honest, if I'm winning races, then I'm then I'm happy. You know, and getting that getting that first win that was a, to be that it felt so good. It was it was it's been interesting because in my first kind of like ten years of racing. You know, coming up through karting, coming up through Formula Renault, the road to Indy. There wasn't a year that I didn't win multiple races. You know, stand. You know, or it, well, there wasn't a year I didn't win multiple races. And then this last five years, I've gone through a period where I've not even stood on a podium. So it was quite, you know, I guess you could say a bit of a drought for me personally. Um, so to get get out there yesterday and get that result and get back on the top step it really was like such a good feeling and um, now I'm just hungry to get the next one really and just try and try and try and avoid ever having to you know deal with another another such a fruitless period so um, no I'm, I'm, I'm very happy with today I'm very happy with the you know with, with the team I'm working with, with the people I'm working with I'm very happy working alongside Lexus you know they've been fantastic to me and uh I love driving this car, and like I say, if we're, if we're competing for wins and we're competing for a championship, and that's all I care about. So, yeah, obviously, I'd love to, would love, uh, would love to race, uh, you know, in IndyCar again if it was, you know, an opportunity to go for to go for race wins and championships and stuff like that. That's something I could believe. That's something I believe I could do. Um, you know, but I, I could say that about a lot of series and a lot of different disciplines. So at the minute, I'm I'm extremely happy doing what I'm doing. 
as long as I'm as long as I'm competing, I'm a competitor, Marshall. And uh, if I can compete and I can and I can go for wins and I can show what I can do um, and I can work with great people as I am doing this year, then uh, then I'm happy. So hopefully, uh, hopefully that can continue. I can continue to you know improve, continue to you know keep getting faster. And uh, who know who knows what you know where this thing will go in the future. Um, but yeah, I just got to keep on performing and. Um, Keep getting results. That's what I want to do. Win a lot of races. That's my only aim. Well, congrats. Whatever to, that might be. Congrats to you, Ian Willis, Andrew Bourdain, Sully, Vassar, of course. I do know that uh, Sully and Vassar have a brand new Delara IndyCar chassis, so we're going to have to talk to them about who needs to uh, turn some laps in that there. But congrats to you and to Lexus as well. Just always a great thing when we have a new team come in, find success, find some consistency, and just add more depth to IMSA's GTD category and uh, with all that said I'm going to let you get on with the rest of your day and get out of that airport Awesome, thanks Marshall, appreciate it mate Rob Lloydman, Team Director of Total Kazoo Racing um, This has been a long time coming it's been a very long season but Manufacturer's title in the back now Yes, one of the targets, box ticked, as uh, Sam did said before. So from my, our point of view, uh, happy with the success we have achieved here in a very difficult race. Uh, pity for car number seven, uh, who was... Uh, very quick and made car number eight life very difficult, especially for the championship, for the, for the drivers' championship. But we enjoyed it, and uh, yeah, happy to be here. Happy to get uh, get this title for Toyota. A drivers' title stays alive, just yes. And you know more than any other team director how cruel that race can be. This isn't done yet, is it? No, it isn't. Uh, we say they have to finish uh, car number eight to win it. If not uh, in Le Mans, then and car seven would win, and I see them as potential winner then uh, they get it all. Uh, so, uh, yes, there is tension in the team, but it's in a very good way. It's a very enjoyable battle between the two cars, and uh, I hope we can continue in this way in, in Le Mans, and hopefully under conditions which are a bit better. Before talking a little bit about the future, I want to talk a little bit about this race. Have you ever seen anything like the conditions we faced out there? Well, we are used to Nürburgring, uh, where it can snow, and it did a few weeks ago, but no, this is first time. Uh, we were lucky to send the drivers to a driver team training where they do some ice driving, no it's a joke, they, they run it with, uh, with studs, but yes we had a very good, uh, we say uh, uh, it was a very good race, the car 8 in the beginning was a bit unlucky, and but we say no, we have never seen it we have a lot of our staff here joining in, because it's not so far from the factory and every rider, uh, driver had to say it's the first time for me to do under, under these circumstances well they have done it very well and uh, we will not forget this one so quickly. So from here, Tessica Monza Testing in Monza? No, nope. you're just the test day now. Did we have no. We do some preparation here in uh, we say uh, in Spa. There's a so-called shakedown test. So we say we had an issue on car seven. This is a good moment to go through all the cars. It's not we say not so far away from today, but it's more or less a, a shakedown, and then uh, we go to uh, the, the test day and. Uh, uh, on the what do we have? Second of June. There we will uh, we say also uh, run with with Brendan Hartley first time. So um, we have enjoyed him uh, meeting him, and uh, yeah, we will be uh, a good replacement for Fernando, who will definitely leave a, a big empty place because we really have enjoyed it with him this season. Last question for me is about the future. There's been a couple of statements made during this weekend about perhaps frustration of the lack of certainty about vision for the future in a top class international sports car racing. 
would you like to say about that the current situation? I, I would line up in the one who are frustrated because we thought we had a, uh, we say, uh, regulations back in December. I understand that uh, we would like to attract, and the SAA, COFIA would like to attract more competitors, so no issue to, to go back. But we know uh, in May, and there is still not nothing final decided, and this is something which is difficult. Um, we need to, uh, to understand uh, to commit to what, and at the present moment we don't know. We lose time, we lose money because we, we say we have done some studies which are for the bin, and it's not good for, for the sport, it's not good for us, but I understand a bit what, where they are in, and what, we say we need to move on, and uh, we would like to know what's, what's going on. Uh, next year, a season like this will be tough enough for us. Uh, we say we don't want to dominate in this way. Uh, we would like to have competition, we would like to see other brands coming in, um, so yeah, it's... So the sooner the better, basically, whatever. Yes, we say it's... it's, it's, it's you would like to drive against Porsche, Audi, and they did in the past. But if whoever they are, McLaren, if it's Aston, whoever, I don't mind too much. But it's, it's, it should it should move on quickly. When we spoke last at Sebring, you made it very clear that there was a ticking clock for the corporate process in Japan. Yes. We against that clock now. Are we through that point? And is it is it no longer possible for 21, 22? We say it Sorry, would, 2021. 21, it's getting tied, and we would ask um, maybe for some uh, dispensation on the one or the other issue because uh, we lost more or less five months, and uh, yeah, it staggers up, and it's uh, it's blocking other projects because we need the resources to do, and uh, uh, maybe uh, we say when we are so late, we would ask uh, to see if if the homologation can be a bit more relaxed in the situation where we are now but we'll have to find out final question is about this incredible race car of yours the TSO 50 lost in a lot of the morass here it's just what a fantastic achievement technical achievement it is not only the fastest but also the most reliable car unfortunately not today for the 7 car but a tiny tiny issue there I believe the commitment you've made is that it will not race beyond next season. Yes. So next season with this car is the last season. And beyond that, no chance whatsoever. For what kind of regulations? I have no clue. So why should we race that car? We need to have a new car. We want to move forward. We don't want to stay with this. Uh, this car has, we say, it's, it's a great car. Uh, we are not doing any development anymore of significant side, and uh, we need to move on. And we have some other ideas which we have, to, which we would like to do. We have put this very clear with the FIA and the. I thought we have done a, a good regulation for the future and now we're coming to a situation where they need to take some decisions. Thank you very much. You're welcome. So those were our six guests for the week of May 6th on Inside the Sports Car Paddock. Starting off with our pal Jeff Brown, moving on to Alex Lynn, Dane Cameron, Pastor Maldonado, Jack Hawksworth, and finally Rob Loipen. Thanks to all of them for taking some time. Thanks to you. This show, which you just started a couple months ago, has become something that is gaining momentum with every episode. Traffic is certainly continuing to increase. So thank you so very much for enjoying our interview show to complement the listener Q&A show with the Weekend Sports Cars every week. All right. I'm Marshall Pruitt. This is the Marshall Pruitt Podcast brought to you by Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers. Thank you for listening.